to Bear County Small Business and Entrepreneurship Department podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Prado. This podcast will focus on interviews, event notification, bid alerts, and much more. Bear County Small Business and Entrepreneurship Department embodies the strong partnership between economic development and entrepreneurship. The department is charged with the responsibility of administrating the Small, Minority, and Women-Owned Business Enterprise, or SWIMBY program, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise, or DBE program, and coordination for the U.S. Title VI regulations, as applied to Bear County's federal highway funded projects. We seek to establish innovative programs that involve new or existing businesses and provide monitoring and compliance for Bear County. We're going to give the floor to Bear County Judge Nelson W. Wolf and Frank Almaraz from CPS Energy to introduce the 2019 Bear County SMW VBO Business Conference. Thank you for listening to our first podcast. Subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with special guest interviews, event notification, bid alerts, and much more. For more information, please visit our website at www.bexar.org backslash smwbe. We also are on social media. Um, You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Title VI Non-Discrimination Policy Statement Bear County is a recipient of federal financial assistance and under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and related statutes, ensures that no person shall on the grounds of race, religion, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefit of, or otherwise be subjected to discrimination under departments, programs, or activities.
recommendations, if they're accepted by the county, are intended to be implemented as policy and procedure under the forward Now, why is Bear County doing the disparity study? Fortunately for us, you all have already answered that question for us on your website. Four main reasons that the county has decided to conduct this study uh, is to accomplish the following. To identify the best practices that will help the county build a business program to stimulate local business, economic growth, and development. To assure equitable participation of local, minority, and women-owned business in county contracts and their support. To promote a sound fiduciary relationship with the local businesses and to reinforce social responsibility for the local business community. I'd like to now pass it over to Michelle Clark Jenkins, uh, who will give us an overview of our uh, study team. As David said, I'm going to introduce you to uh, both our firm as well as our study team. Um, Griffin and Strong, we're based out of Atlanta. We're a law and public policy consulting firm. We specialize in disparity research and contract compliance programming, program development, as well as training and supplier diversity consulting. For our consulting division, this is all we do. Um, we think we have the most qualified team in our industry. We have four, uh, we have four attorneys, we have two PhDs in economics, we have a PhD statistician, and a PhD candidate in anthropology. All of our experts and all of these PhDs and attorneys all do hands-on work on the study. And everyone has expertise in this area. And no study we've done has ever been challenged or returned in court. Um, so we have a lot of experience in this uh, jurisdiction. Um, you're in the Fifth Circuit. And so um, disparity studies are really a creation of the court. So as you'll hear later how important this is that we have a a very good understanding of what the law is in this particular circuit. Um, so we've done studies, as, as this shows, a number of Fifth Circuit engagements, um, as well as a lot of county engagements. So we're very familiar with both. Um, so this is our project team. We have some local partners. Um, May Escobar is the owner of the Amazing Marketing Group, and uh, they will be doing our anecdotal interviews and our community along with Mary Beach, who's on her team, who will be assisting. She has a really strong um, statistical background in the sense that she'll help us do kind of the analytics of outreach marketing for the study. That becomes important because as you'll hear, anecdotal evidence is a huge factor in our study, and so it's very important that the business and civic and social communities participate. This is me. Uh, Michelle Clark Jenkins, I head the consulting group of Griffin and Strong and I'll also be the project manager. Uh, Austin Dussard, who's not here with us today, will be our, uh, our deputy project manager. You'll see his face a lot because he'll be here doing a lot of outreach to the community. Uh, Dr. Vince Egan, who is here with us today, is our principal investigator. Um, he's done I mean, we keep saying he's done over 120 studies. We've been saying that for the past three years. He's probably closer to 130. Um, and he has been successfully an expert witness in six cases. Uh, again, the important part of that is successful in defending these studies across the country. 
Um, he's also both an attorney and an economist, uh, and he also is a professor at Morehouse University, Morehouse, Morehouse College. Uh, Dr. Ron Hakiki is based right here in Texas, in, in Austin, and he is our chief statistician. Um, he's had 30 years of data management. Um, his uh, most important, for, for our purposes here, one of the most important aspects about his career is that he conducted the largest disparity study ever done for the state of Texas. Uh, he was in charge of that data. And that was a huge amount of data. It included 149 state agencies, nine health science centers, and 52 state universities. It's a lot of data. Um, Dr. Gregory Price is our senior economist. He's really focused more on the um, we, uh, applied theorists. He's an applied theorist. He works to help us cover data gaps. Um, he also does a lot of the data testing, and primarily he'll be working on the private sector analysis part of our disparity study. It's not just to study what the county's doing, but also to look at the marketplace, and he'll be focused on that. Um, he is the former president of the National Economics Association, um, and is presently teaching at the University of New Orleans. Imani Strong-Tucker is our PhD candidate. Um, she uh, is in London at the London School of Economics as we gather all of the data. She is um, the one who tells the story. Um, that's why anthropology is the perfect background to do that and helps to, to gather all of this data and you'll find that we have a lot of data that we're gathering, but she'll tell the story. Uh, uh, David Maher, who we just met, is our law partner at the firm and he'll also be the legal analyst. Um, David's background is that he served as a federal law clerk in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and was responsible for researching and drafting opinions in this area of uh, employment, civil rights, and immigration. Uh, that's really critical because, again, these are creation of the courts and sometimes these programs get challenged by the court and hope that doesn't happen. But having someone like David um, oversee our legal uh, of application is really critical. Susan Johnson is our director of project administration. She's actually worked on more than 30 studies, um, but she's the person who will help develop our, our, our uh, proposal as well as carries the development of the project. Uh, Omar Bay is our data analyst. He calls himself a data scientist. He's the one who helps us to kind of come up with new technologies and new ways to deal with our data. And then finally, our CEO, Rodney Strong. Um, Rodney's recognized nationally as an expert in this field. He's testified before the U.S. Senate on small business and entrepreneurship. Um, this has been his whole career. When he graduated from Morehouse College, um, he immediately um, went to work on um, and he went to work in the public sector, and he was the director of contract compliance for the city of Atlanta, and was the project manager on the first disparity study ever done, uh, after the closing case, and we will talk more about the closing case in a minute. Um, and when he started our firm, he really started it to really do program development. We're not just researchers who do disparity studies, really the focus of, of our firm is also on 
having effective program development. We want to see a study not just sit on a shelf, but become something and have a, a policy impact. Uh, Rodney also was one of the principal architects of the uh, Atlantis EBO program, which then became a model for the programs in the rest of the country. So I want to talk a little bit about our methodology and approach to really what you heard what the disparity study kind of is, but I want to talk about what the components are, how the, the components are. So this is the whole disparity study process, and this is why it takes at least a year to complete. So there's a legal analysis, and we'll talk about these in detail on each of the slides, but there's a legal analysis. We do a policy and procedures review. A lot of time is spent collecting and cleaning data. We then have to determine what markets we're studying, who's included in the study, what types of businesses. We then have to look at who did you actually spend your dollars with. We look at availability, who are the ready, willing, and able firms. We talk about which is a lot of firms have a lot to say about how they, where they see the problems or where they see that you're doing a good job and to give us their ideas about how you should move forward. And then finally, there's a final report and recommendations. And I should emphasize that our, our final recommendations, depending on the outcome of the study, will have, um, will look at both race neutral, race and gender neutral remedies and are needed and race and gender conscious remedies Are two things. You have to show the problem and then you have to fix the problem. 
And so the disparity study helps you establish through the qualitative and quantitative evidence a factual basis for identifying the problem. And then you have to narrowly tailor your remedies to fix that particular problem, always avoiding any kind of over-inclusion or under-inclusion as a result of what your statistics or anecdotal evidence show. One thing that we will talk about when we get to the legal analysis is the importance in first using uh, race and gender neutral remedies in order to try and solve the disparities that you've identified. And the courts have held that if you have made a good effort to try all race and gender neutral efforts first and they have not solved your disparity problem, then you can start to implement different race and gender conscious policies. How will purchasing policies and procedures be located? Essentially, Dr. Vince and I will be coming here to San Antonio to do some interviews and review the written policies and procedures here in Bexar County. The key issues that we are trying to identify is do any of the policies or procedures present a barrier to participation or inclusion of the groups that are covered by the program? Also, the question of do the Procurement personnel and end users understand these policies and procedures as they are written, and the practices, the day-to-day practices, actually also match the policies and procedures. And this is one part where the anecdotal evidence will also help us uh, in the analysis because it starts to show you whether there's some kind of disconnect at your end user level between what the policies and procedures are and how they experience them. So then the ultimate question that we will try to resolve at the end of the study is what policies and procedures could be modified to promote greater inclusion in the future of the study. Now I'm going to data, and I'll bring Dr. Rama and we'll discuss the data collection and analysis portion of the study. Good morning, my name is Ron Hedley. I'm the Chief of Statistician and so on. And my job is very simple and not complicated. It's all data, research, and statistics. So it keeps you happy, actually. So we do a lot of data analysis. It's a long time. And then we have some of the guys, mostly the ones that are capital numbers. Oh, that keeps and can help us. So what is it we talk about data? We're talking about basically the purchases that have been done in different places of the procurement. Everything is included and all the measures are included in our process. So we have two measures that we deal with. One is prime data and the other is the subcontract data. The prime data is the one that is coming directly from the vendors. And those are available in the databases and most of the data we have. Then we also have that. Then we have the data sometimes that we have to discover. We have one here to do it. A lot of vendors have questions and hopefully we can share this. 
Okay, good afternoon. My name is Vince again. Um, and I want to talk, I, I want to sort of combine the slide and sort of talk about availability, utilization, and security in the private sector. And talk about some issues there that really bear on you very quickly. I mean, the core of the disparity study, as we said, we're going to look at the available firms of these groups, how they were utilized, with the disparity between the two, was that disparity significant? And then even if it was not significant, were there disparities in the private sector, which uh, the county could also try to address with its own programs. So that's the sort of essence of what it's about. But, you know, that's the, and that's the legal context of it. But the reality is, uh, since the Supreme Court decision in this area came out, my guess is there's probably been 500 studies <laughs> in this area, I know someone collected 300 of them about 10 years ago. So it's almost become like this part of state local government, a regular part of it that just happens, particularly in large diverse communities like this, uh, that's broader than just addressing um, the legal requirements of these studies. And I think that's particularly true for this study uh, for the county. Because, for example, for utilization, you've asked us to not only look at minority and women-owned firms, but you've also asked us to look at firms by their status as veterans, disabled, and sexual orientation. And from my understanding, that's the broadest that I've seen a study do thus far in terms of the groups that have been covered in the study. Now, all of those groups do not require a factual credit study. Um, however, that's something that you want to look at uh, as part of your analysis, and that's the same. The second part of that is most studies that are included like to focus on the firms that are certified in looking at their utilization, and if someone's proved they're a member of some particular group. However, you can't simply exclude firms that are not certified uh, from your analysis. If you, you yourself do that, you track you have data of self-certified firms and certified firms. Uh, because some firms you simply know. I'm from Atlanta, and uh, the largest minority firm there is a $300 million firm. Uh, <clears throat> but they're not certified. But if you excluded them from the analysis, it just wouldn't be accurate to exclude that firm, even though they're not a certified firm. So some of that information we're going to need from you all or people who work for you who you simply know from working with them that they're a large, significant firm that's got to work for you, even though they're not a certified firm. So I think that's a relevant aspect of this study that's relevant to people in this room or some members um, of your staff on the utilization side. Uh, the second thing on availability is we're going to be looking at it both ways, uh, two different ways. Uh, the most comprehensive uh, list of of firms comes from Hoover's, which was done in Bradstreet, which they go and track every firm that's out there in the marketplace that they can contact. And that's the broadest uh, list of firms uh, that exists. But those firms are not necessarily interested in doing work with Bear County in particular or the public sector in general. Uh, so oftentimes, even though that is a very comprehensive list, it's not of practical value when you're trying to see who are the firms who are really available uh, to do work with yourself and the agency. So we also look at lists of your bidders, your vendors, 
uh, and another third party list to get the firms that are actively trying to do work with the county and with um, public sector in general. And those are the sort of key points I wanted to make line about availability and utilization security in Firms who 
have always been disgruntled and lost, but we isolate those in Zoom that felt safe. So for our Zoom, came to a hearing, and they said what they thought. But then when you look at these ones where they've been randomly selected, and when you start to see all these different groups give us the same kind of feedback, whether positive or negative, then you begin to say that's now empirical data because talked to 500 firms and 250 of them said the same thing. That's a little different than one person told us something. So then at the end of this, what do we do with this? What's the outcome of this study? Um, well, one is us producing the study itself to you. Um, and within that study are our findings, which is what, what, what conclusions do you come to in the study? And then from those conclusions, what recommendations are you making? David mentioned that one of the legal requirements was that the um, whatever comes out of this that's implemented has to be narrowly tailored to the findings of the study. So that means every one of our recommendations has to be tied to a finding that we have. And we would not recommend that you do something that doesn't have that factual predicate to support it. Um, we also give you best practices. We do this all around the country. We have a lot of, of knowledge about what um, is working and not working in other jurisdictions. Um, at the same time, we understand that you have be very unique characteristics. That's going to come out particularly in the anecdotal evidence. And so what may, may work someplace else may not work here. You may have to innovate something. So all of those things are done um, in conjunction with your team. So the findings are what they are, but then the recommendations we can work with to try to make them work with your jurisdiction. So after the study's complete, one of the things we do is we talk about how we're going to roll it out. Nine times out of ten, whatever our findings are, the business community already knows that's what they are. We've proven it, but they already know what they are. But what they are, they want to know, so how do we move forward? So one of the very important parts of us continuing to meet with the county is to say, okay, here's what we found, what's going to be the way forward? Um, we're responsible for the study, we're responsible for the recommendations, but we also feel that before we leave here, we want to make sure, always like into the yellow brick road, that we create the yellow brick for you to walk on um, so that you know how you're moving forward and that the community knows how you want to move forward there with this study. And implementation is absolutely key. You know, for us to do a study for it to kind of sit on a shelf on some place is useless. Um, I've only known your name for Rick Watson for a very short period of time, but I, I get the same impression that this will not sit on the shelf somewhere, but that she and her team and, and um, also be met manager that this will not sit on the shelf. So it's uh, really good to indicate how you're going to move forward and how you want to implement. So we will, as we meet with the public, we'll be telling them how they can get involved, um, which of course will be these random selections, as well as they can attend these public hearings. Uh, we will be distributing to them uh, an email. We have a dedicated email for where people can send their comments. Sometimes people send us poems of their long story, but we read them all, and we read them all. Um, and then the public can stay involved. We're active on social 
um, and then coming soon by the time we come for the more formal informational meetings, we'll also have a dedicated website up where you can direct people. It will be called www.scarystudy.com, which will be real easy, and people can get information about what's coming up. So this is kind of what the schedule looks like in really project art terms. Um, right now, um, we're, we're doing the assessment while we're on this trip, which is when, where, how, why, and who's got the data. Um, the legal review will begin. Uh, we'll start the informational meetings in about six weeks, and then we'll launch the website. Um, in the spring, uh, and actually probably sooner than the spring, uh, we'll begin working on the uh, policies and procedures and interviews. Uh, both David Maher and uh, Vincent will be back to do interviews here with probably a lot of people here in this room to talk about you know, how you put for what you do and how you do it every day. Um, and the letter will be delivered sometime in the spring. We'll also be doing lots of data collection, uh, which we've already done. Um, in the summer, the survey will go out. We'll still be involved in preparing databases and doing the anecdotal evidence. All will be in the private sector. Statistical will happen in the fall, uh, and then we'll start to work on findings and recommendations. And they're actually late fall. Our uh, early winter will be a draft, um, and then in the winter of next year we will have the findings and recommendations of the final study. So it is a long process, as you've seen all of it. It's the pieces. It takes quite a while. The biggest part, obviously, is collecting and cleaning up data. That starts now, and it's actually one of the last things that gets done at the end of the study. So that's us. Um, we have time for some questions. If anybody has questions or comments, um, something you didn't understand. Yes, ma'am. As part of your review of policies and procedures, you didn't mention state statutes like purchasing So the policy part of our part, policy does include looking at not just your local policy, but how whatever policies you use. So that includes any of your state requirements, purchasing requirements. Um, when we take all of that into account, um, we're not doing your, uh, the state study right now. So you know clearly those are things that you can change. However. Um, there are things within that, those parameters in which you can make certain decisions based on these programs. So you can create programs within those. Yes. Um, like disabled persons, that's not a race or gender issue. 
but it's still an issue of whether you want to look at disparities. So we kind of do the same study that we're doing for race and gender, and for race and gender groups, we kind of add the others in. And honestly, with, with uh, veterans, your issue typically is not whether veterans are being underutilized as much as it is you want to maximize your use of vendors because of veterans because most jurisdictions want to um, benefit them. They want to give them maybe a bit of an advantage. You don't have to do a disparity study in order to do that, but the disparity study, because it shows you the available firms, helps you say, see whether you're underutilizing them. Again, not a race gender issue, just um, I have a certain number of veterans in my marketplace. And how many of them are am I using? What percentage of them am I using? So it may show you that you're not doing enough outreach to them. It may show you um, where they are. It may give you more of a list. It gives you these availability utilization studies give you a benchmark to say what's the percentage that could be expected based on the presence of those firms in my marketplace. So if I've got, if I've got, you know, um, 10% of my marketplace is veterans, and I'm only utilizing 1% of them, then maybe that says that you want to do a whole lot more there. But it's not a discrimination issue. Um, LGBT is a little bit different because there haven't been a lot of cases that have tested that, and so there is a big issue of, of whether that's considered race and gender conscious or race and gender neutral. And so because the courts haven't really tested that, so to be safe, you always want to test that as if it's race and gender conscious, so that you make sure that you're always flying on the conservative side of that. Um, so um, all these groups are included, even though, again, some of them have the POSA model, uh, you can do programs without doing this kind of study, but it does help you know where you are. Title VI Non-Discrimination Policy Statement Bear County, as a recipient of federal financial assistance and under the Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and related statutes, ensures that no person shall, on the grounds of race, religion, 
where the primary objective is the financial assistance is to provide employment per 42 USS statute 2000D-3, uh, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or otherwise be subjected to discrimination under any department, program, or activities. For more information about our services, or for more information about our services, please visit our website at www.bexar.org/smwbe. You can also follow us on our social media uh, accounts on Instagram at smwbe underscore bexar, Facebook at Bear County SMWBE, Twitter at SMWBE, or YouTube at SMWBE Bear County.